This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Yes, we are getting by like like you are, I think, dear listener, with a little help from our friends. As is often the case, this program is getting a little bit of assistance from the good people at KDVS. I'd like to thank Drew for his assistance in bringing today's program to you. And while I'm at it, should thank Joshua for his participation in this show by helping it air for the past quarter. And we're indebted in the past few years to Heather for her part in helping us bring our efforts forward onto the airwaves. Thanks, guys, and thanks to everybody else who's helped make this program possible over the past 12 years. Although I think if we really sat down to mention all the people we're indebted to, we might take the whole rest of the hour. So let's just say, well, folks, you know who you are. Thank you. We want to thank in advance uh, the guests we're going to bring on next week's program to start off the year. Today, of course, is Christmas Day, which makes tomorrow, a week from now, New Year's Day. For next week's show, kicking off the new year, we're going to try and bring on some special guests. First off, the voice of Morning Edition here in the Sacramento area. Morning Edition is, of course, a program with national people and local people. And the local person is better known to you as Donna Abadoni. And though you know her as that serene and competent local voice for NPR's Morning Edition, you may not know her as an interfaith minister and author. In fact, for 10 years, Donna has led workshops and private sessions for the Transformation Path, and her book is titled Transformation. We're looking forward to speaking with her about that and hopefully can provide something we can all start the year off with while on the right foot. And during our 12-year stay here, we've had some great GMs, uh, among them Neil Rood. We hope Neil will join us on next week's program to talk about the effort he is spearheading to deal with our tuition increases here in California. The University of California is planning to raise what it charges people to get educated, and uh, this is not sitting well with a lot of folks who are wondering if we couldn't do a better job with our California state budget. We spend an awful lot of money on prisons and maybe some other dubious things, and perhaps should be investing more in education. We're certainly with Neil on this and look forward to uh, giving him a chance to, uh, to talk about it on next week's show. Because we should note that on today's program, in our second segment, we're going to speak with the senior editor for the World Almanac and Book of Facts. In this case, the 2015 edition. That would be senior editor Sarah Jansen. We certainly love almanacs and rely upon them to produce this program. There's all kinds of cool stuff in the World Almanac, and well, we'll be talking a bit about some of that uh, in our second segment. But let us start our first segment at the top of the show, as we like to do every week, with On This Date in History. Now, we do have to note that it was not on this date in history in the year one that Jesus of Nazareth was born. 
I think we would do well to talk about that for a moment, using uh, as our source of information the briefing section of the current issue of The Week magazine. The briefing is actually about the history of the Christmas present, but it's got a little aside or two in here that I wish to uh, examine. Because it turns out that this tradition of giving gifts really has nothing to do with the nativity, really. Yes, it's true that in at least a couple of the uh, Gospels that there's this story of the three wise men of the East coming to find Jesus and, and presenting him with gifts of frankincense, myrrh, and gold. And, and actually, as a further aside in this aside, I would note that I was being helped in uh, cleaning out uh, some drawers by one of KDVS's former general managers, to wit one Stephen Valentino, and he found a couple of curious jars which had this material in it that looked like, well, like little bits of tree sap, which which I'm pretty sure is what they were. Asked if I had any idea what these items might be, I said, yeah, Steve, I think that's frankincense and myrrh, which you can buy in places like the Souk in Cairo, which may have been where these particular specimens came from. We'd found some gold leaf earlier in the day, so I was able to say to Steve that in the event of Jesus coming back, we were pretty much ready to rock and roll with gifts we thought he might appreciate, frankincense, gold, and myrrh, just like the wise men brought him the first go-around. But aside from this wise men thing, the idea of giving gifts is pretty got some pretty shaky biblical scholarship. In fact, it turns out that gift-giving came long before there was a celebration of Christmas. Turns out pagans all over Europe and in the Middle East gave presents at several winter festivals, including the Saturnalia, which is a raucous Roman festival in honor of Saturn, the god of agriculture. It began on December 17th, basically the shortest week of the year, which I think ancient astronomers kept track of very uh, carefully, knowing that it was important for the to watch the sun starting to climb back up in the sky again. At any rate, people gave gifts, had a lot of drinking, had a lot of partying, and reportedly greeted each other with a joyful Io Saturnalia, the ancient Roman equivalent of Merry Christmas. Oh, and by the way, Io Saturnalia to all of you. But in answer to the question, what happened to the Saturnalia, the week pointed out that early Christian leaders phased it out. They considered it their religious duty to eradicate the existing pagan culture. They also knew that dumping the beloved festival would cause a backlash. So... In the 4th century, they created a rival festival to mark Jesus' birth, Christmas. Now, it should be noted, which we've done on this program before, that the Bible doesn't explicitly state the date on which Jesus was born. And, of course, theologians place his birth in the spring, because according to the Gospels, the shepherds were out with their flock in the fields at the time of the birth, which they do in the spring but do not do in the dead of winter. But uh, church leaders conveniently pushed the date of the birth back from spring to December 25th. They borrowed some Saturnalia rituals for their own festival and kept the public happy. Since we're great believers in giving credit where credit is due, we do have to cite local comic Keith Lowell Jensen's commentary made on Capital Public Radio recently that, that although he was an atheist, he certainly loved reading the Bible for some of the rich traditions there. Such as, said Mr. Jensen, the... the <laughs> The story about going out in the forest and cutting down those trees and bringing them home and decorating them with festive astrologic symbols. At any rate, I do recommend this briefing in the week to talk about how the, the gift-giving mania took root. And it's curious to note that the, our pilgrim forefathers were very down on Christmas. They considered it to be a uh, 
something to be banned. It was banned in the nation's earliest days. New England Puritan leaders considered it just a pagan or maybe even a, a papist abomination. Any citizen found celebrating around December 25th would be sternly reprimanded. But then along the way, Christmas celebrations, sometime in the 1680s, became legal, and that just caused a gift-giving boom in rural America, which we've never seen the, uh, the end of since. Now, having said all that, I should mention a few things that did take place on December 25th. Turns out it was on this date in the year 336 that the earliest historical mention of Christmas being celebrated in Rome on this day was found. That's in a book written by Furius Dionysius Philocallus, writing in 354 AD. This date in the year 875 that Charles the Bald became Emperor of Rome. His reign was marked by a rise in power of nobles, but we like citing this mainly because we like to say Charles the Bald. And on this date in 1741, the Swedish astronomer Anders Celsius created the centigrade or Celsius temperature scale in which the freezing point of water is zero and the boiling point is 100. On December 25th in the year 1896, the great Portuguese-American composer John Philip Sousa completed The Stars and Stripes Forever, which frankly should be our national anthem. And let's end this where we started with a bit of Christmas mythology, for it was reputedly on December 25th in 1914 that German and Allied troops ceased firing along the Western Front after singing Christmas carols and apparently playing a soccer game. I've always thought this was a very cool story, but a piece on NPR a few days ago cast severe doubt on whether this actually ever took place. It turns out historians are not able to find any contemporaneous uh, records of this or any people writing about it later in the first person. So, nice story, but not sure if it ever happened. Our quote of the day comes from Ellie Wiesel, who noted, There may be times when we are powerless to prevent injustice, but there must never be a time when we fail to protest. Our quote of the day comes from British statesman Harold Macmillan, who once said, A man who trusts nobody is apt to be the kind of man nobody trusts. And our bonus quote of the day comes from author Terry Pratchett, who once said, In ancient times, cats were worshipped as gods. They have not forgotten this. Our joke today comes from Rita Mae Brown, who said, If Michelangelo had been heterosexual, the Sistine Chapel would have been painted basic white with a roller. Our anecdote for this week's show is as follows. A new dress code for the Montana House of Representatives warned women legislators to have modest skirt lengths and necklines and bands legging and open-toed sandals. Women legislators say the dress code, drawn up by Republican males without their input, is patriarchal and insulting. Well, at least these guys in Montana have decided to at least let Boone be in the legislature instead of being, you know, home barefoot and pregnant. So maybe they're making some progress up there in Big Sky Country. Our stat of the day, and this is really one to end the year on, kind of surprising, is that the global health care and lost productivity costs of obesity have climbed to $2 trillion a year. 
estimated to be as much as the combined costs of armed violence, war, and terrorism, according to a new report by the McKinsey Global Institute. Turns out about 30% of the world's population is overweight or obese. And our good news for this week's show, and this surely is good news, is that apparently the HIV virus is becoming weaker. This is the encouraging conclusion from a major new study which has established that the deadly virus is gradually becoming watered down, making it less likely to cause AIDS. Apparently, Oxford University scientists analyzed the blood of 2,000 HIV-positive women in Botswana and South Africa and found that in Botswana, which has been struggling with the epidemic for a decade longer than South Africa has, the virus was much less infectious with a diminished ability to replicate in the body. This apparently is a result of natural evolution taking place. We don't have time to really analyze how that happens, and it doesn't always happen, but it seems to be happening here, and that is good news. I think we should jump from right here into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for, well, not quite divine intervention, but intervention, with the news that a priest in Italy, fed up with worshippers texting and making phone calls during Mass, installed a cell phone jamming device. Said Father Michel Madonna of Naples, it has stopped the problem. Was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for credulity with the news that a New York high school student now admitted that his tale of making $72 million through Wall Street trading, which got publicized by New York Magazine, no less, was entirely made up. A contrite Mohammed Islam said he confessed because his parents knew it was false and basically wanted to kill me. And it was an ugly week last week for popping the question with the news that a Dutchman's ambitious wedding proposal plans ended in disaster when the crane he hired to reach his beloved bedroom window toppled over and smashed through the roof of a neighbor's house. Supposedly, this still unnamed man had hoped to surprise his girlfriend by suddenly appearing in a crane bucket outside her window where he would then ask for her hand in marriage. Unfortunately, before he could pop the question... The unsecured crane tipped over, forcing authorities to evacuate 32 apartments. But there's some good news in this. Apparently, the impressed girlfriend still said yes, and the pair headed off to Paris to celebrate their engagement. And finally, it was both a bad and ugly week for, I guess, what you'd say, having any sense of perspective. With the news that a pop star named Ariana Grande, and no, I never heard of her, but you probably have, dear listener. She's now demanding that her staff pick her up and carry her whenever her feet get tired, according to Life and Style magazine. Supposedly, this 21-year-old Disney Channel star turned R&B singer has a burgeoning reputation as a diva. Gee, do you think? But apparently her latest request has shocked even jaded members of her entourage. Her new rule is that she has to be carried, literally carried like a baby, when she doesn't feel like walking, according to one source who evidently added, she says she doesn't want her precious feet to hit the floor. Everybody was stunned. I know, Mr. Wimbledon, you are not to play any music from Ariana Grande to set this piece off. 
You are, however, allowed to play Ethel Merman for the third week in a row in this show. There's no business like show business like no business I know. Everything about it is appealing. Everything the traffic will allow. By the way, although we did hit the jingle bells by the singing dogs on last week's program, we have failed so far to uh, produce any snippets of one of our favorite Christmas uh, musical selections, which would be my personal favorite from James Brown. Santa Claus goes straight to the ghetto. That should be our bumper music. All right, we do note at the end of the year, it's always a great pleasure to receive The Economist. It's always a special double issue. This one's no exception. It's full of really cool stuff, and unfortunately, we have time to talk about virtually none of it. But keep your eyes peeled for that internet uh, version show we're going to do in the next week or two that maybe will include a great deal of that material. And you may have noticed the stern warnings being issued by uh, the National Weather Service and presumably some California state authorities about the dangers currently of walking along the coast. Because, my God, we're having higher tides than usual this time of year. Oh, it is true on an annual basis that uh, the highest tides of the year are either the new moon or the full moon about, well, the ones that are closest to January 3rd are unusually high. This is a natural phenomenon having to do with the fact that the Earth is closest to the sun on January 3rd. And, of course, when you have the full and new moons, it magnifies the effect of the tide. So you have unusually high tides this time of year. Happens every year. But somebody's decided they're going to start calling these things king tides. And apparently somebody at the National Weather Service is warning people that coastal lagoons, trails, and parking lots may flood. As David Letterman would say, run for your lives! I love this little blurb about it, the Sacramento Bee. Noting that Captain Greg Stump, commander of the Coast Guard sector of San Francisco, said swells could rise to around seven feet. He warned marinas and boat owners to check their moorings and to be careful. I think I feel we actually should augment that warning and say, yes, for God's sakes, people, be careful. <laughs> All right, here's an item, or is it two items, from the completely weird, inexplicable, we can't even label it file. But apparently, weird things take place up in zero gravity. Things we would not have expected. Current issue of Mental Floss magazine contains a little blurb about how, um, how scents are a very curious uh, business. They went out to the International Flavor and Fragrances, IFF, of Hazlitt, New Jersey, to take a look at how scents are bottled up and manufactured. The piece noted that back in 1974, IFF scientists created a synthetic version of ambergris. The article notes that back in the 1990s, this company blasted a rose into space just to see if it would smell different in zero gravity. Apparently it did. And, for reasons that remain unknown... The mitochondria that power all the cells in our body somehow seem to work more poorly in zero gravity, which translates into the fact that astronauts have to be careful when shaving in space because nicks and other minor wounds just don't heal well. Now, I don't know how they figured out this had to do with the mitochondria in our cells, but uh, in the last issue of Mental Floss, they claimed that last September, a Harry Whelan, neurologist at the Medical Center of Wisconsin in Milwaukee, has reported that radiating the mitochondria with infrared light prompted them to go back to work. He's now testing infrared LEDs to help astronauts heal better, 
up in orbit. Who knew? And if you have any insight into that curious matter, please don't hesitate to drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. All right, as Mr. Merlin cues up, Santa Claus goes straight to the ghetto. I think I want to end this segment on a joke. After all, it's Christmas. How about a little levity? So here's the story. A farmer named Muldoon lived alone with his beloved dog. When the dog passed away, Muldoon went to the parish priest and said, Father, my dog is dead. Could you be saying a mass for the poor creature? The priest said, I'm afraid not. We cannot have services for an animal in the church. There's a new denomination down the road, and there's no telling what they believe. Maybe they'll do something for your poor creature. Muldoon says, oh, well, thank you, Father. I'll go right away. Do you think $5,000 is enough to donate for such a service? The priest then exclaimed, glory be to God, Muldoon. Why didn't you tell me the dog was Catholic? Santa Claus Go straight to the ghetto Hitch up your reindeer uh, Go straight to the ghetto You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Severich. Stick around to talk about the World Almanac Book of Fact with their senior editor, Sarah Jansen. This will be fun. Fill every stocking you find The kids are gonna love you so uh, Leave a toy for Johnny, leave a dog for Mary, leave something pretty for Donny, and don't forget about Gary, Santa Claus, <clears throat> go straight to the ghetto, Santa Claus, go straight to the ghetto.